Our Gospel reading is taken from Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40, going on to 56. So in your church Bibles, it's on page 1038. And the title for our passage is, Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, said Jesus. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I hope you can hear me all right. Uh, my name's David Pearson, and um, I've been a member of this congregation for a few years, and also a member of the Prime Ministry team uh, for a few years too. Um, as, we, uh, as we start, let's just pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we pray now that we may know your presence with us as we look at your word. Stir our hearts by the power of your spirit so that you would meet with us here, Lord, this morning. Renew our faith and expectation of what you can do in our lives. Amen. 
You might like to keep open the reading from Luke chapter 8 that we've just had read to us. Thank you, Gary. Um, this morning, uh, we're going on a little bit of a journey, aren't we? We're, we're heading back to um, the land of Israel and to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's just have a little show of hands to see how many people have been there. Been to Israel. Thank you. Yeah, a few of us. Now, um, I haven't, but Rowena has. And I'm really looking forward to going to Israel next year and to be standing, hopefully, in this very place by the Sea of Galilee um, at Capernaum, what's left of it. Um, so if you're like me and you've never been, then you'll have to use your imagination a bit this morning, won't you? Um, as I will. But you might have heard this story a hundred times. You might have read it lots of times. But I just want to encourage us this morning just to rest again in this amazing story that Luke records for us and actually is recorded also in Matthew and Mark. Let's... Um, feel the impact again as we look at it. So, we're on the shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus and his disciples have just come back from right over the other side. So they went out, they had that storm where Jesus needed to calm the storm, and now they've just come back um, onto the shore, back to, probably back to Capernaum, and what do you think they're most looking forward to at this moment? I think they're looking forward to a nice meal and a good kip. Um, but actually, they're not going to get that because suddenly they're confronted again by this crowd of people. This crowd of people who we're told um, have probably come from far away, far and wide, because news about Jesus has spread all over the place, even right down to Judea and the surrounding countryside then. And everybody has heard about his amazing teaching and his amazing miracles. So they come in huge expectations of what Jesus might say and do next. Well, I think Jesus probably knew that this chap, Jairus, the synagogue leader, was going to throw himself at Jesus' feet at this moment so there wouldn't be any break. Um, we'd be heading right on. Because Jesus doesn't hesitate, does he? He doesn't hesitate to respond to this deepest need. And, you know, we can all sense his place of absolute desperation. His 12-year-old daughter, and we're told only daughter, well, it's possible only child, is now 12 years old. So he's seen her grow up right through the early years, right through, um, you know, those, those years of sort of uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, when they're starting to become little people, little mini-adults. Mini and here she is, almost a grown woman, and now she's dying. And we kind of forget, don't we, in the age in which we live, what it's like to live without modern medicine and treatment. And sadly, as we were reminded a couple of weeks ago, many people in our world still live in that place. So we can just sense his place of anguish and desperation, hopelessness 
and helplessness. Um, but then Jesus says, okay, we're going, going to go to your house. Um, there's something else that's possibly in the background here, and this has a link with the woman that we'll, we'll see later. So Jairus was a well-respected person in the community, but there were still thoughts in those days, in that society, that actually illness and sickness was a sign of God's displeasure. So he was here, he, the synagogue leader who's got his daughter ill. Not only that, but he falls at Jesus' feet. And we know that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were beginning to say, mm, I'm not sure about this, this chap, Jesus. You know, he's not doing the things, not behaving the way we would have expected. So not sure, Jairus, that it's the right thing to do to be throwing yourself at his feet and pleading for his daughter's illness. But Jairus overcomes all that, all his um, fears and um, the, the thoughts of what people might say and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And sometimes there are moments, aren't there, where it just takes that little bit of courage for us to get up and say, and overcome our embarrassment and say, Jesus, please help. We're desperate. Um, so uh, they, they move on. And, and we're just walking through the streets now of Capernaum with this, with this crowd following. But suddenly, Jesus stops. And he looks around. And he says, someone touched me. And the disciples look at him, don't they? And they say, come on, you cannot be serious. Look at this crowd. There's hundreds of people touching you at this moment, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, but somebody touched me. He felt it. He felt the power go out of me for healing this lady. You see, there was somebody else who was desperate. Somebody else who was seizing her opportunity for healing that she might not get again. You see, I've been struggling with this bleeding problem for 12 years. It's felt like forever. And it's not only just the physical problem of it, um, and I felt so drained and awful, but actually I've been, I felt ostracized by the, my society. Jewish culture in those days would dictate that she was regarded as unclean. She wasn't able to participate in the normal kind of religious rites and festivals. She wouldn't be able to engage as a normal person would in her society. Not only that, but if somebody touched her, they'd be regarded as being unclean too. So no hugs, no touching, and even somebody who sat on the same seat that I'd been sitting on was regarded as unclean. So I just feel so dirty, so unclean, so embarrassed, so ashamed, so alone, and without hope of this ever ending. But I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about his healing miracles. 
But the real problem is how to get near because I can't touch Jesus because then he would be unclean too. So maybe if I just creep unnoticed in this crowd and touch his garment, maybe, perhaps, possibly, I might get some of Jesus' healing. And then I touch his garment and wow, do I feel different. Do I feel suddenly I'm, I'm better, I'm cured, I'm healed. Maybe I can just slip away without anybody noticing as I'm still feeling quite embarrassed about what I've done. But no, Jesus stops, help. He looks around, what is going to happen to me? I'm going to have to confess and admit all this. But Jesus stops, doesn't he? And he says these amazing words. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter. It's significant, that word, isn't it? That's a word of endearment, intimacy, affirmation. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What peace she must have just received from Jesus, not just in her healing, but in, in his words of reassurance and affirmation. The peace that only Jesus gives, she hears. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Or we might also read, has saved you. Um, and so there she is. She's restored. She's actually been given a new life, hasn't she? A new life again. A new life not just physically, but emotionally. And she can hug her family again. She can pick up her grandchildren. Um, just an amazing new life again in her community. She's been restored physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially and she can live again. But just at that very moment that she hears those words, those particular words of Jesus, Jairus hears the words that he never, ever wanted to hear. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. And we can just feel his anguish, his anger, and his frustration. This woman has just come and taken away my only chance of my daughter being better. We can feel it, can't we? But then we get what I call a just, uh, sorry, a but Jesus moment. Do you know? If you read through the Gospels, how many times do you read about a situation that seems impossible, hopeless, um, socially challenging, and we read, but Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. I know the but isn't in the text here, <laughs> but it's there all right, isn't it? But Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't despair. 
trust me. And so they head to the house. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, that when they get to the house, the first thing Jesus does is to just shush. Come on, start that wailing, be quiet. And he takes authority over the impossible with the words, doesn't he? I think Jesus takes authority over the situation, over that impossible situation. And he speaks the words, she's not dead, but asleep. Now, everybody knows she was dead. Come on. But Jesus takes authority and he speaks faith into that situation. She's not dead. She's asleep. And so Peter, James, and John go with him as eyewitnesses to this amazing healing into that place where she is. And I just imagine that being a kind of inner room. You know, we've got all the mourners and the rest of the crowd outside, but it's an intimate space, isn't it? Where she can meet, where, sorry, Jesus can meet with this little girl and her parents with, with Peter, James, and John and just bring that sense of calm and order into the chaos of their lives. Um, and just with a simple word, he lifts her up, doesn't he? And tells her to get up. And in our wonder and astonishment, if we were Peter, James, and John, or those parents, we would be just gobsmacked and amazed. Now, we might not think that things like this happen these days, but I can tell you that they do. Um, there's a, a GP who's written a little book called Unwrapping Lazarus, describes his visit to a very remote part of Mexico. And there was this very young babe, young child, under two probably. Um, and the child was, was breathing its last, was basically dying. But he'd already seen Jesus do an amazing miracle in the morning. And he was desperate. They were all desperate to see that little child recovered. And he heard these words, just to let this child, who is now dead, go back on the mother's breast. And amazingly, that child recovered. You can imagine the astonishment that that came so we come to kind of the end of this story, but of course, it's only part of a much wider story, isn't it, that Luke tells us. Um, and the gospel writers didn't just write good stories because they were good stories and because, you know, they were nice things for people to maybe think about. They were written for a reason. And right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, and you might want to go back at home and just look at those words again. Luke wants us to be absolutely sure that he's checked out all the things that he's written in his gospel. He wants us to know that these things are true. And not only that, but he wants us to know that, these, that the story, this story, tells us some things about Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to encourage our faith and our trust and our belief and our hope in him. And in this story, we see the clues as to why we can put our trust totally 
in Jesus. He alone is the unique expected Messiah, Son of God. And he tells us that in John's Gospel. He says, look, you know, you've been with me. You've seen what I've done. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my miracles. They point to who I am. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. We can totally believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus shows us what God is like. In Jesus, we see the Father heart of God, and we see that in this story. We see Jesus' compassion, his love, his kindness, his gentleness, his humility, his patience, his longing to restore and bring back to that place of wholeness what has gone wrong, what we've messed up and what is messed up in the world. Jesus longs to put that right. Um, And we see the love of God demonstrated in Jesus' death for us too, finally, at the end. Jesus takes our place on that cross and he dies in our place so we can be forgiven and we can have the promise of eternal life. And then the third thing is, Luke wants us to see that Jesus has the power over death. Just as he brought that little child back to life again, that's kind of a little foretaste of Jesus' own resurrection and our resurrection too. Because if we put our trust and belief in Jesus, we know that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When Jesus speaks those words, we know that he has power over death. He has power over our death too and to bring us to eternal life. So in a minute this morning, we'll have an opportunity just to have that little time of closeness, that encounter with Jesus. And we can do that in several ways. Now, if you're at home and listening to this, uh, you may feel that you're not able to participate Um, in the same way, but I just want to encourage you and those who may wish to just stay in their seats just to take that little moment of space and resting in his presence and just telling Jesus all about it. You see, I don't know what your struggles are today, this morning as you come here, but we have one who does and he wants to meet you in your place of need. And, you know, sometimes we see things happen just like that. We see amazing things happen. Sometimes it takes longer and we see things change. Sometimes in this life we may not see that happen, but we know that we have something that goes beyond this life if we have faith in Jesus. But this morning, we're expecting a but moment, a but Jesus moment, a but Jesus moment for whatever we're bringing to him. And as we come and take communion, we can just be reminded of all that Jesus has done for us. We can be reminded of the new life that he has given us. We can know his forgiveness afresh this morning 
know his love. And we've got an, um, an opportunity too to have some anointing. Now, there'll be Ruth and Rowena there with some anointing oil. Now, anointing is not some funny um, magical thing. It's just an outward sign of God's presence and his desire for our wholeness and our healing. So I would encourage you um, to come and receive anointing, even if, you know, you don't feel you want to receive prayer or anything else, but just to have that little touch. And I'm going to have some anointing as I go forward for prayer ministry as well, because we all need just that little touch from Jesus. And just think of it as touching Jesus' cloak, okay? We don't have to share anything. We don't have to say why we're there. We don't even need to have a desperate need. And I've often said this about prayer ministry. You don't have to be in the worst place ever to come and receive prayer. Um, and the same is true for anointing. Just come, receive, and enjoy the presence of Jesus here in this place. And then if there are things on your mind and things that you would just appreciate prayer with somebody else for, then a uh, few of us will be in the chancel ready to pray with you. So let's just take a moment to pray. And then Adam is going to lead us in our communion and he'll also give us some, some practical directions as well. Let's check.